Lord Jesus, in one way or another, all of us are blind to you. So I ask that you would open your word this morning, that you would teach us from it and open our eyes so that we can see you and know you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Back in the 70s, there was a movie that some of you may remember called Oh God. And it starred John Denver as a supermarket clerk who gets a visit from God, who's played by George Burns. So already we're in serious theological trouble. (laughs) At one point, God sends John Denver to a phony faith healer, and John Denver says, God has a message for you. He wishes that you would stop doing fake miracles and sell shoes instead. I'm guessing that one or two of us have had that same feeling as we've been flipping through the channels and maybe come across some kind of faith healer on television. And it just sometimes looks so fake, like it's all been staged, sort of like WWF wrestling. You did know that was fake, right? (laughs) I didn't spoil the surprise for anyone there. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we see those TV healers, and maybe one of the feelings we feel is embarrassment. And we think to ourselves, oh, I wish they'd say they were atheists and help us in reverse. And for those... (laughs) Sorry, I got distracted. Someone thought it was funny. (laughs) But I'm not sure entirely that those faith healers have it all wrong. I can't judge for sure whether they fake the miracles or not. What I do know from Scripture is this, that Jesus heals. We're continuing our series on what does it mean, what does Jubilee mean in the Bible. And as I've said the last couple of weeks, every 50 years in the Bible, God commanded his people to celebrate a year of Jubilee. A year where all debts were canceled, slaves were set free, nobody planted crops, and all property was returned to its original owners. It was a time for God's people to give rest, give freedom, and to give back. It was also a time of healing, a time to heal the land by letting it lie fallow, a time for poor people to find healing and relief from poverty. And in his first sermon, his first public sermon in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of God's jubilee vision. He says that he comes to bring good news to the poor. Release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. In other words, he comes to heal. In 2005, we're going to celebrate our 50th year as a church. And I think one of the things Jubilee would mean for us is that we would become agents of God's healing in the world. And boy, does our world need it. People are in need of physical healing. Just listen to the prayer requests every Sunday morning. Many of us are in need of emotional healing from depression or insecurities or or scars left behind from childhood. And all of us need spiritual healing. We need someone to forgive us for all the ways we hurt other people and hurt ourselves. We need relief from guilt and shame, and we need to find meaning and purpose in life. And only Jesus does those things, because only Jesus pays the price we know needs paid for our sins. And only Jesus offers us the most meaningful, purpose-filled life there is. So whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, we need the healing touch of Jesus. 
And the good news is he gives it. And not only does he heal, but he wants to use us to be part of his healing mission in the world. So what would that look like for us? What does it mean for us to participate with God in bringing healing? Well, for starters, it would mean physical healing. Now, does that mean miracles? Let me give you an answer you may not be expecting. Yes. I believe Jesus still does miracles today. Not always. In fact, not even often. Miracles are rare. That's why they're called miracles, not ordinaries. <laughs> but he didn't heal very often in the Bible either. If you added up all the miracles in the Bible, you'd probably come up with one or two hundred miracles. Which sounds like a lot, until you realize that the Bible covers 2,000 years of history and hundreds of square miles of geography. So if you do the math, you discover that there weren't many miracles per square mile per year. Most people living in biblical times never saw a miracle. That's why they're astonished when they see one. Right? It's not as if Jesus heals the blind man and everyone says, what's for lunch? <laughs> no. They're astonished. They're amazed. They don't believe it. Miracles probably happen about as much today as they did in the Bible, and that would be rarely. And there's a good reason for that. Because if Jesus healed everyone every time, we'd follow him only out of convenience, not love. And that wouldn't be a relationship. But what's interesting to me is even when miracles do happen, we will find a way to doubt them. Just like in this text, the, the religious leaders in this story immediately discount the miracle. They say, oh, this man wasn't really born blind. He, 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 maybe he just had something in his eye for 40 years. They just discount it. Ben Patterson, a pastor in California, tells a story of a man in his congregation who was miraculously healed of cancer. And for the first couple of months, everyone went around saying, wow, isn't it great that God healed Bob of cancer? But after about a year, people started saying, remember when we thought Bob had cancer? We will find a way to doubt Miracles happen, but even when they do, we explain them away. In my former church, we used to have a healing prayer service, just like we do here. And one day we got a letter from a doctor who worked at the Stanford Hospital. He was a complete atheist, but his wife had terminal cancer, and she came to one of our healing prayer ministries, and, and the next time she went to the doctor, the cancer was gone. Well, that got her husband's attention. So he wrote us a letter and he said, look, I'm a scientist and I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. But I know that my wife had cancer and now she doesn't and I can't explain it. I, I guess it's an anomaly, which is medical terminology for a miracle. <laughs> That's what we say at Stanford, you know, an anomaly. As we celebrate our Jubilee year, by showing our community the real Jesus through the ways that we serve them, one of the ways God will use us is to bring healing, and that just might mean a miracle or two. Jesus does miraculous healings, sometimes. But there's a second kind of healing that Jesus always does for people who are seeking, and that's spiritual healing. In this story of a man that was born blind, the real miracle isn't so much the physical healing, it's the spiritual one. 
The miracle only takes a couple of verses. The rest is a long discussion about who Jesus is that results in this man having a relationship with him. In fact, every miraculous healing in Scripture is never done just for the comfort of the person that's healed, but so that people can see Jesus, so that blind eyes can be open to who Jesus is. And that's what's happening in this long story. The first thing that happens is is Jesus cures him in kind of a strange way. Did you notice that? He spits on the ground and makes some mud and then says, go wash in the pool called Siloam, which is all the way across town. Now think about it. This guy is blind. That is going to be a very hard journey for him to get all the way across town. Why didn't Jesus just heal him right then and there? This is sort of like when you call a company with a question and you keep getting transferred, you know. Can't we just do this now? But I think this is part of Jesus' spiritual healing. Jesus wants to build this man's faith. Every miracle in Scripture is preceded by a human being taking some kind of step of faith, like Peter getting out of the boat to walk on water. And the reason God does it that way is because that builds our faith. Because when we have to go so far out on a limb that only he can hold us up, when he does, we know he's real. So Jesus is building this man's faith. And then he's cured, cured, but he has no idea who his healer is. They ask him, and at first all he can say is, I don't know, some, some bloke named Jesus spit on the ground and now I can see. Okay, we're not having very clear theology yet, right? So then they take him to the religious leaders. And they pummel him with questions. You know, what about this and what about that? And and then the religious leaders decide, well, there probably wasn't a miracle here anyway. Religious leaders have always been a problem for God. (laughs) Finally, the, the healed man says, look, I don't know the answer to your questions. All I know is this. I was blind and now I see. Now that's good theology. Because that's what Jesus does. He doesn't fill our heads with a lot of head knowledge. He gives us an experience that changes us. And finally, this story ends when Jesus finds this man. And this man worships Jesus. Which means he was convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh. Because no Jewish person would worship anyone who wasn't God. And that's the miracle. He ends up in a relationship with Jesus. His eyes are opened to who Jesus is. That's the spiritual healing. But notice how it happened. It happened because Jesus met him in the difficult circumstances of his life. First he's blind, and then he's ridiculed, and then he's ostracized. But in all of those tough times, Jesus met him, which is why Jesus allows us to go through tough times so that we can be healed spiritually. I love to hike. And the longer, higher, and harder the trail, the better. And being a performance-driven eldest child and male, the whole point of this exercise, of course, is to get to the top more quickly than anybody else. And when you get up there, the view is great. But one of the things you notice is there's no plants around. All the vegetation, all the growth is in the valley below. You get the metaphor. We love the mountaintop experiences of life. But all of our spiritual growth happens in the valleys because it's in those times that we have to cling to Jesus and it's those times that he becomes more real to us. Jesus always heals. Sometimes physically, always spiritually. Now, to some of you, that may sound a little bit like a cop-out. 
You may be thinking, okay, Jesus always heals one way or the other. Kind of covers all your bases, doesn't it, Pastor? You know what? All I can say is this, that people who have been there, people who have suffered some of the worst things in life, always say that Jesus meets them and brings them joy in the middle of that if they stick with him. A friend of mine had a six-year-old boy who got cancer. And eventually he died, and it was just terrible. Our, our whole church was praying for him. And when he died, many of us were disappointed with God. We didn't understand why God didn't answer that prayer. But I remember two years after he died, his mother saying, you know, when my son first got sick, I, I searched the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation looking for the place where Jesus promised to heal him. And I could not find that. What I found instead was on almost every page, Jesus promised that he would never leave me or forsake me, that the harder things got, the more real he would be, and that he would use even the worst things for good. And for those, the promises he made, he kept every one, every time. And now he's as real to me as the ground that I stand on, and that gives me hope, and that gives me joy. Now, I can't argue with that. The healing she found wasn't physical, it was spiritual. The harder things got, the more she saw Jesus. Jesus heals, sometimes physically, always spiritually, and finally, Jesus heals through us. He wants us to be part of his healing in the world. And there are all kinds of ways that we can do that. We can listen to someone who needs emotional healing, or visit a sick neighbor, or make meals for people who are ill. If you have health care skills, you could offer some of those pro bono, a couple hours a week. If you stop by the Jubilee booth on your way out, you can find out how to care for the blind in our community. What would happen if one or 200 of us decided to flood the nursing homes and go visit lonely senior citizens just to talk with them or, or read to them or just, just sit with them? Think of the healing that would bring from loneliness and, and boredom and fear. And when we do that, when we serve, when we become part of God's healing mission in the world, when we show up in nursing homes or listen to the hurting neighbor or take a meal to the homebound person, and they ask, why are you doing this? And we say, because of Jesus. Well, then, then they know that Jesus is real because he showed up in us. And that's what Jubilee will mean for us as a congregation. It will mean all of us turning outward as a community to show the world that Jesus is real through the way that we serve them. And when we do that, we perform a miracle. Because we open eyes that can't see Jesus right now to see him and know him. Jesus heals, sometimes physically, always spiritually, and he wants to heal through us. But you know what? I'm, I'm just the preacher. So what do I know? I'd like you to hear how this works from someone who sits in the pews every Sunday. So I've asked one of our elders, Lynn Wells, to come and share with you how she has experienced the healing touch of Jesus in her life. Two and a half years ago, in April of 2002, I was asked to be an elder here at First Pres. Crazy thing is, the Lord knew just where I was headed. He knew my future and my past. He knew the number of hairs on my head. He knew how many of those hairs I was about to lose. He had a plan to show me his comfort and his healing. For my first 29 years, I'd pretty much characterized my life by all the blessings that God poured out. I had a nurturing family, a loving husband, 
really true friends and two wonderful kids. But turning 30 hit me hard, and I mean hard. In June of 2002, the day before my 30th birthday, the news came. My mom's cancer that we thought was long gone came back and surprised us all. One evening in July, she sat in our family room with my dad, my sister, and me, and looked into each of our eyes individually and said, Do you know that I love you? I really love you. She knew she didn't have too much time left, but we were all hoping for at least three months. We didn't know she only had three more days. We were all at her side as she took her last breath, and that moment will stick with me forever. I knew she was dying, but my tears were mixed with the agonizing pain of loss, but also with a sort of relief that she was finally truly healed. In that moment, she started the ultimate life with God. She was with him face to face. And now, two years later, I miss her more than ever. I think of all the advice that I'll miss out on, all the joy that our kids will never know because of their grandma. She's gone. All the delicious recipes that she never wrote down. I miss her in my life so much that sometimes I can hear her voice and laugh with her. She and I were the best of friends. In the following weeks after my mom's death, life didn't exactly iron itself out. The wrinkles just seemed to multiply. Seven weeks after my mom died of cancer, I was diagnosed with cancer. A few days later, my treatments began and we were surrounded. Friends and even strangers offered support. Elders here in this church laid hands on me and prayed for healing. One group of gals was out to lunch one day and they were wondering how they could help us out in a really tangible way, they decided to all pitch in and get a house cleaning service for us for nine months. Can you imagine there we were driving off to chemo on Thursday mornings just as the cleaning lady was hauling in her vacuum cleaner through our front door? One friend used her gift of quilting and made me a beautiful quilt that I enjoyed on those long winter afternoons when I was sick. Another friend bought a stylish new shirt for me to wear during the holidays so that I could look a little bit better than I felt. And thanks to my dear friends in Mother's Fellowship, a meal was provided to us at least three or four times a week. We ate like kings that year. My sister took care of our kids on countless afternoons when all I could do was just fall asleep on her couch. Some dear friends of ours knew that my treatments had put us up against a wall financially, We were buried in medical bills when the other shoe dropped. The engine on our car died. They generously loaned us a few thousand dollars so that we could pay our medical bills and the mechanic. At home, Dave and I experienced the most enriching days of our marriage. We were quiet, and he, he did it all. It was like a long Sabbath. We celebrated Jubilee a little early at our house. And would you believe it, it did wonders for our relationship? We grieved and we cried, but, you know, we just took one day at a time. When my treatments were finished, we were exhausted and really ready for a break. And one couple sensed that, and they offered us their waterfront condo on the Oregon coast, and we went there and stayed for a weekend. And what a great gift to give to our family, the opportunity to rest together. Well, these are just a few examples of the incredible love that God poured out on us during those months through you. We were overwhelmed by our church family. 
Had my mom been alive, you know, she would have handled a lot of these things in a single bound. She was an amazing lady. But instead, with her gone, I will always be grateful for the healing that God gave me through you. I distinctly remember an evening at home when I was hunched over in bed with nausea. I couldn't read or even watch TV because of the sickness. I just laid there, waiting for the minutes to pass. My mouth and my throat were filled with those ulcers that you can get from chemotherapy. In the midst of that not-so-glamorous moment, I remember a smile came to my face, and I took a deep, restful breath in and out. God's peace just washed over me, and I could physically feel his presence. Slowly over those months, I lost quite a bit of energy, nearly all my hair. And then in March of 2003, the really good news came, remission. My body was so tired, but my soul, my soul felt so strong. So as you can see, an otherwise neat and tidy life got pretty mucked up in the past few years. Our family isn't exactly what it used to be. My kids miss their grandma, and I miss my mom. I'll be in and out of oncology exams for the rest of my life. But I am so incredibly thankful for how God has shaped my heart through it all, even in the midst of the muck. And just like my mom, I'm so thankful that someday I'll see my Lord face to face. That gives me hope. There are a lot of different healings in Lynn's story. The way her family was drawn closer together through her mother's death. The way that during one of her sickest, most miserable moments, Lynn actually felt God's physical presence. How many of us can claim that? That's spiritual healing. The way that through prayer and modern medicine, Lynn's cancer is cured, that's physical healing. And then through all of you, all of you who cared for her, who who gave her a new shirt so she could feel good on the outside even though she felt bad on the inside, who met her real physical needs for food, for warmth, for rest. You were Jesus with skin on for Lynn. And through you, she could see who he was. There's a lot of healing there, both spiritually and physically. Now, I have no idea why Lynn's mom died and Lynn was cured. I I don't know. What I do know, though, is this, that Psalm 22 says that Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And what that means is that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, he knows how to walk through that valley. He's the only one that's been through it. He knows the way out. And what that means is that when Lynn's mom died, Jesus met her at the entrance of that valley, and he said, don't be scared. This valley looks worse than it is. It's all hat and no cattle. I have walked through it. I've conquered death. I know the way out of here. And then he took her by the hand. And he walked her through. And what that means is that someday Lynn and her mother will both dance on the streets that are golden with their Savior in bodies that will never die, will not age, will not hurt, and will never know cancer again. And when they have been there 10,000 years, they will have only just begun to sing his praises. And if that isn't healing, then I don't know what is. Jesus heals. Physically, spiritually, and he wants, to be, he wants us to be his healing agents in the world. Because when we bring his healing to others, we open blind eyes to see Jesus. 
That is the one miracle every one of us can do. And that is the one miracle every one of us needs. Lord, I thank you so much that you do miracles and that you do them through us. Lord, thank you for Lynn. Thank you for her family. Thank you for the ways that you have met her through this body of believers here. Lord, we ask that you would help us be your servants in a world in desperate need of healing. Lord, help us to bring it so that they can know that you are real and that their eyes can see you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.